A few weeks ago, or the last, over the last few weeks, we've been talking as a church family about the things that get in the way of our relationships, the, the fences, the barriers that we actually put up, that we can erect to, to protect ourselves, like when we blame others, like Adam and Eve did with each other, uh, like rejection that Reuben preached about last week. We'll continue with those kinds of of barriers next week, but today I want to focus on something that's a little different. I want to focus on how how to stay healthy, actually how to resist the temptations to set up fences in the first place. I want to talk about Christ-centered boundaries, Christ-centered boundaries. So Norm, the passage that you read in Psalms, the very first passage, the, the, we, didn't even, we didn't organize this, the Holy Spirit did. Uh, the passage that jumped out from off the page from him says, says, Lord, you have hemmed me in. Lord, you've, you've given a, a boundary to me. You've actually got me in yourself. And that's actually the main point of what I'm talking about today. So did you know that God actually isn't against boundaries? In fact, it's easy to see how he in, has intentionally created boundaries all around us. And on the first day of creation, this is where you can follow along in your Bible. We'll get to one of the passages or one of the verses in verse 28 in a little bit. But it's easy to see. On the first day of creation, what did he do? Anybody? He, he separated the darkness from the light. And there was day and there was night. On the second day, he creates the heavens and separates it from the water. And then he separates the water from the land. He places these boundaries in, in, in place. He puts them in place. And all this is working in concert, in relationship. Because it keeps saying in the creation account that there was morning and there was evening. And this cycle had begun. And God had made it that way. And then God creates all the living things. He creates the plants and the animals and the birds and the fish. And they all lived within the various boundaries that God created. But then God created human beings. He made them in his own image, in his likeness. He didn't just create one kind of human. He created them male and female. They were different, but they were meant to actually come together in partnership. God actually gave them the earth as their boundary. They could transverse all of those things. And in verse 28 in your Bibles, in chapter 1, it says that God told them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's yours. I want you to look after it, take care of it, and do this for me. And do you know what God's response was after everything that he created? The first things, after the first few days, he kept saying, God saw it was good. And after he created Adam and Eve and he set back and rested from his creation. It says he saw that it was very good. Boundaries can be a good thing when God's created them. Even the psalmist wrote about this. 
Uh, It'll come up on the screen, Psalm 74. Yours is the day, God. Yours is the day. Yours is also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You've made summer and winter. And Paul, in the New Testament, when he begins to preach to the Greeks in Athens at the temple of the unknown God, these were the words his opening words, his opening speech and preach to the hearers that were there in Acts chapter 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth. Listen to this. Having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us, he goes on to say. Here's what you need to hear. For in him we live and move and have our being. We are hemmed in by God himself. Even some of the poets he finishes says, For indeed we are his offspring. We're his creation. So when Jesus walked on the earth with his disciples, these men who followed him around... They knew that their sin separated them from God. That was just an everyday understanding for them. They followed after the law, a boundary, which God had given to the Israelite people, to Moses, to the people at Mount Sinai. And they were always faced with their inability to live up to God's laws. It's one of the reasons they're there, so that we know we need God. And never mind The disciples' own sin that they needed to wrestle with. The sin that caused Adam and Eve to be expelled from the garden actually created a barrier, a fence that never needed to exist. It never needed to exist. Not honoring the boundary that God had given them to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the the knowledge of good and evil caused an eternal separation, a barrier between humanity and the God who created us. Are you following me? The only hope that the disciples had for anything to change was for the promised Messiah to come and to make things right. They had cashed in everything to follow Jesus. They were entrusting their entire future, their entire eternity, placing their very lives in the hands of Jesus of Nazareth. The one who Peter proclaimed, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, yep, don't tell anybody yet. (laughs) He's saying, you're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And they were right to put their hope in Jesus, in God, in the flesh, to make things right. They were right to make him the center of their lives. Yes, Jesus. 
Sorry. <laughs> I'm in agreement, yes. <laughs> and th- they were right to put their hopes in Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, I can only imagine the doubt and the fears that the disciples were feeling in their hearts. Is this it? Did we, did we get it wrong? But when they realized, when they realized that he had risen from the dead and he was alive, what rejoicing. What rejoicing. What that would have done in them. Jesus has done what he said he was going to do. He was the only one, the only one who could cross the barrier, the fence, the chasm, the distance between us and our Heavenly Father. He was the only one who could make a way through the sins of humanity to repair this broken relationship that had gotten severed so long ago. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ... You have accepted the gift of salvation and invited Jesus to be your Lord. The wall of separation that existed between God and humanity, it no longer exists for anyone. But through Jesus, when you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you have been born again of the Spirit of God. You've been given a new life, a new relationship with him. You're no longer living under the sentence of death and sin and and doomed to spend an eternity separated from God. But you're actually transported across that boundary. Jesus, this bridge, this door through the cross, that this boundary of sin and death is actually transversed. It's crossed over and you're brought into his kingdom of glorious light. You are adopted into his family. You're destined to spend eternity with him. And Jesus is meant to be the center of your life. If you only remember one thing from what I say this morning, it's this. Jesus has made a way for you to live in true freedom. He has made a way for you to live in true freedom. A life centered on Him without any barriers between you and God. No longer needing to be bound by anger and bitterness and rejection and unforgiveness and hurt and hatred and jealousy and any other kind of thing that would hold us back. When we are connected to him, when we abide in him, like that branch connected to the vine, Jesus says we will bear much fruit. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, life to the full, life abundant. However, in order to be his followers, we need to become like him. Can I say that one more time? We forget this bit sometimes. In order to be his followers, we need to become like him. We don't get a free pass to live however we want. Our life actually needs to reflect the godly, life-giving boundaries that Jesus himself lived by. Obedient to his Father, even unto death. This means we actually need to stay close to him, fixed on him as the center. That means listening to Jesus through his word, the Bible, and by his spirit. 
walking according to the path of righteousness that he's actually laid out for us and showed us how to walk. The pattern, those boundary lines, they're kind of like riverbanks, if you will. They will help the flowing river of our lives actually stay within the banks and not cause the destruction that happens when we decide to go our own way and we overflow the banks and flood into all sorts of other areas that we were never meant to flow into. Jesus is our boundary. He's the one who shows us which way to go and the boundary lines that he's set for us. Now, the PowerPoint's going to end. I'm going to finish teaching in one sense, um, but I just felt like what's up there usually won't actually add to what I'm going to share with you. What I would like to do in the time that we have left is to actually just share some of my own journey with you. To take what I have said just now and actually attach it to real life. I'm not using my journey because I'm so good at it. I'm certainly not. Uh, I, I, I just want I felt like I was supposed to give a real-life example of this that I can share honestly because it's mine. Um, it's, It's how I've practiced and worked to seek to make Jesus the center of my life. And chances are good as I share, it'll bring to remembrance things in your own life that you've experienced, and you'll be able to hopefully relate to what I'm saying, but just in different ways. I want to share with you my own journey into foster care. Um, To be certain, foster care is a family affair for us weebs. Uh, It's something that Wilma and myself and the girls, we made the choice together as a family to get into, to open our home to fostering children that were in need and whoever the Lord might send to us. We've only been doing it for a short period of time, not very long, But in that time, we've had a number of kids come in and out of our home, whether they've been in the foster care system or not. As a church, you have supported us in a variety of ways that's been actually amazing to us, to see you embracing and making a home for the little ones that we've brought here. The gateway, they become gateway kids in a way. I've been so blessed to see the, the genuine care that, you, that you've given. You, you, you don't just care because Wilma and I are a pastoral couple here. That, oh, well, you know, they're the pastors, so you know, we kind of got to help them out with that. No, it hasn't been like that at all. At least not from our perspective. There, is some, there has been genuine care for these kids that have come into the midst of us. There is something genuine here a deposit of the precious love of Jesus inside you as a church community to be able to come alongside those that Jesus has called the least of these. When our most recent foster child left our home a few weeks ago, both Wilma and I were surprised in good way. Not only by your love and care for us, you know, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Those kinds of things as we said goodbye to this little girl that had been in our home for over a year. Um, Obviously, we've been going through some ups and downs of of grief over that loss after saying farewell. Uh, We're doing well. Like, we're doing doing good as a family, if you were were curious. But 
we've been impacted by how this little girl has been knit into so many of your hearts. <laughs> it's actually it surprised us. God, what are you doing? Um, and you haven't had an easy time letting go of her either. <laughs> uh, and I think, in a way, I believe that's been the Lord actually massaging our hearts to make room for others to come and whatever else he's wanting to do with us as a congregation. But right here, right in that moment, is the temptation to build a fence, isn't it? There's a temptation right there. Lord, it hurts too much. It costs too much. Lord, I don't know if I can keep doing this. But let me rewind the tape. Um, gosh, that's an old reference, isn't it? <laughs> let, me, let me rewind the MP3. <laughs> to about two and a half years ago. Because um, I said that I would tell you my journey into foster care. Uh, because the Lord had to deal with barriers in my own heart in a way um, even before I was in foster care, never mind while we're in it. Um, you know when somebody in your life is right? When they're right and you don't like the fact that they're right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the wives here are going, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. See, you, you know they're right. And it's going to mean change. It will mean that the nice order and comfort that you have and created in your life will need to change if you're going to do what's right. Well, Wilma was right. She was right. Wilma, my wife, was right. Wilma was already ready to open up an orphanage on our street for 100 kids (laughs) before I had even settled that we had had four girls and, and that we were out of diapers, finally. Something of Jesus had gripped her heart, and I knew it. I also knew that if I squashed what God was doing in her life, that something would die. But she patiently waited for me. So when she would bring up the subject of fostering, I would just simply say, I'm praying about it. <laughs> But really, I was in a battle with the Lord, is really what was going on. When I meet with couples for premarital counseling, um, one of the first things that I explain is how selfishness works in a really general way. I say general because I don't want a bunch of emails coming back to me this week saying, well, Aaron, it's not exactly right that way, you know, but I'm just saying in general, (laughs) in general, for the husband-to-be... Getting married is a great adventure whereby he will discover his selfishness. (laughs) I know there's a bunch of you fiancés that are sitting here today. Why? Because it's likely, it's most likely the first time in his life where he truly has to consider someone other than himself in his plans. He needs to shift from independence to interdependence and to consider the needs of his spouse, not just himself. For the wife to be, it's not that she doesn't deal with some of those same things, but generally women are more geared to collaborate and to partner together, and so they see this marriage as this great partnership, a coming together of lives, rather than the cliched potential of loss and freedom. 
right? They, it, that's different. But for wives, it's often when that first child comes, that first realization of selfishness hits. It's because you've moved beyond this partnership, especially if you're not formula feeding right off the hop, to caring for this new infant, this new life that is completely dependent upon you for nourishment. Right? For all intents and purposes, it's permanent for a while. Right? You can't get out of this. I know the look on my wife's eyes. I know the look on other new mothers' eyes when they're like, I've been at home for the last six months. I haven't been able to leave the house. I need human interaction. Any interaction, please, please. You've probably seen it in others' eyes. But even more so, husbands will discover just how selfish we really are when we have kids. Because our life shifts even further into dependence and a life that needs to be oriented around our family and our kids and laying down our lives for our kids and our family and our wife. We thought we were a little selfish when we got married. Now we know for sure. Now we know for sure. There's opportunities to build fences all over the place in this, aren't there? For me, when I was presented the question of fostering children, I was faced with my own selfishness again. That's what I hit. We've got four beautiful daughters. We were at the stage of life where we could finally leave the house in like two minutes. <laughs> um, without a diaper bag and without a rooftop carrier that had the crib and the, all the accoutrement and the... the, the, the there's lots of stuff you got to bring with you. We could go on a family outing and, and Wilma could eat her food warm at a restaurant. Um, our, oldest, our oldest was ready to babysit our kids, right? which not only meant dates for Wilma and I, more of them outside of the house, right? but it would also mean we could do more ministry together. It would just free us up, a different stage of life. So for me, the question of fostering, well, what about that? What about all that? What about the risks? Would our girls be safe fostering? What if a child in our care, what if their parents made an accusation against us as a family? I'm also a pastor. What would that do to the church? What would that do to our community? My wrestling didn't change until one day when I met with Jesus, and he said to me, I won't forget it. He said, are you going to let your own selfishness decide the direction and call of your life, or are you going to let me decide? Yeah, ouch. You followed me this far, Aaron. Why are you holding back? I immediately confessed my sinful selfishness and my excuses, and I invited Jesus, the Lord, change my heart. And he did. He did. And a few months later, we were a licensed foster home with Winnipeg CFS, and we were awaiting our first child, a little three-week-old baby 
who plunged us back into diapers and bottles and nap times and sleepless nights. But you know what was different? A fence had been removed to make room for God's plans. A barrier had been taken down and away that allowed God's grace to flow with a crying baby at 3 a.m. in the morning. A wall was actually picked up and moved out of the way that allowed the people in our lives to see something different in us and say, how can we help? We'd like to be a part of what you're doing. That's what happens when Jesus is at the center of your life and you align with his boundaries for you. The call of God, the mission of of Jesus, that Jesus was giving to our family, it was another, another fence. It was another boundary. But it didn't keep us trapped It actually gave us the the release and freedom to love as Jesus has loved me. He said, this is what I want you to do. Therefore, all the resources of heaven are at your disposal to do it. Wow. Foster care is much too difficult to do for isolated families. I believe that there is no better context. Harold and Wendy, you have helped me see this. I believe there's no better context that exists than families that are deeply embedded and supported in the community of the church. I believe that's the way it's meant to work. There will always be orphans. There will always be foster kids. We can't save all of them. But as a church, you've already provided a stable environment a stable environment uh, for these children to come in and to flourish, to grow. And in, it's in that context that together, well, we can actually bring the gospel to a broken family, a broken foster care system, maybe even a broken child. I'm not here this morning advocating that everybody here needs to get into foster care, that you need to be a foster parent. I would advocate, however, that every follower of Christ does need to ask Jesus, how do you want me to care for the poor, the widow, and the orphan? You don't have to ask Jesus whether or not you need to do that. Lord, would you confirm it with a sign? No, he's already spoken. So what are you doing to say, Lord Jesus, how do I fit? Where's my place in that? No, I'm I'm more convinced than ever that to do foster care right and for the right reasons and to do it for the long haul, that you need to know that Jesus has called you to it. So, what is your call? What is your call? What's Jesus asked you to do? What are the fences, the barriers in your own life that are at work to keep you from moving forward? How can you actually exchange those fences that you've created for the life-giving ones that Jesus wants to give you and wants to fill you with as him being the center of your life. I know I didn't exactly state it, but here's a point. Knowing Jesus, being centered on him and his call for your life, 
is the only boundary and fence that you will need. It's the only boundary and fence that you will need because he will show you what your next step needs to be. His own life will show you the way that you need to go and the way that you need to live your life. Some of you are probably going, is that true? Is that really true, Aaron? Yeah, no, it's true. Jesus is your boundary. He's hemmed you in. What's Jesus called you to do? That requires being in the Word. It requires learning how to hear God's voice, praying, working with the Holy Spirit to deal with your pile of garbage. Each one of us has one. It's our stuff. We all know it's there. But are you working on it with the Holy Spirit? Being empowered by God's Spirit to actually live out the calling that he's given to you. What are you doing with that? I mean, staying close to Jesus and the call of God on your life will actually give you the right and healthy boundaries that you need because he will actually show you where to put your feet next. He'll show you. He'll show you what needs to stay in your life and what needs to go. He wants you to be actually free from anything that would keep you from experiencing the full life that he gave his own life up for. And he will teach you how to love and to be like him. Amen? Countless people have told me, (laughs) this isn't a, a, a slam on anybody, but countless people have told me, Oh, Aaron, I, I, could, I could never foster or do what you and Wilma do. I don't know how you do it. I don't know if I could deal with the loss and the kids in and out of my life uh, all the time. I, I don't know if my heart could take it. I totally understand that feeling. And I would agree that fostering requires a tremendous amount of flexibility. If you're not a flexible person, don't do foster care. <laughs> But have you asked Jesus if that's actually true for you? Or is it just a fence that you've put up? Or have you bumped into something unhealthy, a barrier that you've made in your life? Jesus, I'll go this far, but not any farther. Are you afraid of what might happen, afraid of the uncertainty, afraid of the pain, afraid of the cost? Maybe yes to all of those things. Well, so what? Will you allow your fears to determine the call of God on your life? Or will you take your fears to Jesus and let him decide how to direct your path? Does that cut quite close to it? Who's going to do it? Who's going to lead your life? Your fears or Jesus? See, my biggest fear going into foster care was based on a real reality. Not a what if, but a true only matter of time reality. And that fear was the last thing keeping me from saying yes to Jesus. I know there are people here who have experienced the negative stories of children being taken from their homes or investigated by CFS. Uh, So I don't want to diminish that experience in the least. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in your shoes, although I've walked alongside some people who've walked through that. 
from my experience now working behind the scenes with the foster care system within it, I've yet to actually meet a social worker who actually wants to remove a child from their home. It's been my experience that they actually try to do everything that they can to actually change the situation before that's required. Sometimes they don't have a choice. Um, We just don't actually see their efforts behind the scenes because they're actually not allowed to tell us. The system is set up in a way where information does not flow two ways. (laughs) However, there are incidences in the system where people get caught up in the wrong investigative net or who act out like any staff in an organization perhaps with misplaced motives and lives are torn apart as a result. It's part of reality. My fear was, what if an accusation gets made against our family? What if it gets made against me? Abuse, something like that. I'm the most likely target. Uh, uh, The foster child that's in our home would be taken and given to a new foster family. The workers investigating would come to our home and say, "Uh, Aaron, uh, because of this investigation, we need you to leave the home until this investigation is complete. Uh, if you choose not to do that, we will, uh, we will actually need to take all of your children out of this home and place them into foster care until this can be resolved. Yeah. What would that do to my family? My marriage? What would that do to my reputation? Would I still be able to pastor under a cloud of accusation like that? What would happen to the church? I don't, I don't know. It was a fear. We've been told by social workers, that's not a matter of if, it's when. So develop close relationships with your social workers so they know who you are. It's key. That fear was eating away at me until one day I was with our elders and our pastors in our prayer slot time that we have every week. We were at the prayer furnace, and I shared my heart with my brothers. And I realized that I actually needed to confess, and I needed to repent of this fear to the Lord. I needed to actually get unhooked from the fear. And as faithful brothers, they supported me as I confessed my very real but sinful fence of fear which was holding me back from doing what I knew was the right thing to do. Jesus said to his disciples when he first appeared to them in the upper room after he was crucified and rose again, he said, fear not. When he ascended into heaven as he gave the church the great commission, he said, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Jesus was speaking to me in that moment. My friends prayed for me as the Holy Spirit led them. And Jesus met me in the midst of my fears. And I left that time of prayer a free man. I was free. I knew that something could still happen to our family. But I have not been gripped by that fear ever since. I've been set free. The fence was taken out of the way. Jesus' boundary got put in place. I have been set free to fulfill the call of God on my life and my family's life. Jesus is in control of mine and your destiny. 
Answering the call of Jesus forces you to put your trust in him instead of yourself. That's the way it works. It doesn't work any other way. Trusting and centering your life on Jesus actually forces you, forces you daily to make the choice to trade in your hopes that you might place in these temporary things that happen around us, these things that will disappoint and hurt us, and to place your hope in eternal things that will actually last forever. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll continue. We're going to keep talking about barriers that actually keep us, that get in the way of this full, abundant life I'm talking about. But today, you need to know that Jesus is the only fence that you will ever need. And by that, I mean to abide in him, to dwell with him, to stay within his boundaries that he's given to you, and you will find life. You will even find opportunities for the gospel because that's the way that he works. See, the gospel of of being adopted, of being a blood-bought child of God, of the living God, has been light and fire um, for everyone who cares for orphans and for kids that are at risk. Why? Why? Because it carries with it so much joy, even amidst the pain, as you invest your lives into others and their stuff collides with you. Foster care provides Wilma and and me daily reminders of our need for the gospel. Foster care, like, like many things, it provides a window into my soul. It's, it's a, a picture of, of my need. And I need Jesus. I need him. The children that we foster, the ones that have, have come and are to come, are little image bearers. That they don't need me to be their savior. There's one far greater than I am. They need Jesus to be Jesus to them but we get an opportunity to share and to invest and to sow seeds in lives. You know, what puts the gospel on display in your life? Um, For me, foster care puts the need for the gospel on display in our family. You know, it's a chance for our kids to see what Jesus demands in action every day. (laughs) Because... They have more than ample opportunity to see their mother and father need to extend and to receive forgiveness for one another. There's the gospel. It's even given them a window into a world that they have been blessed never to experience. A world of broken families. People dealing with cycles and generations of distorted relationships. And foster care provides a platform to actually share the gospel with others. I can't tell you how many times I've had the opportunity when people have asked us, why do you do this? Oh, let me tell you. (laughs) This is why we do this. How many times I've been able to share the gospel in reply? See, as a culture, we we live in a culture that still thinks that that caring for at-risk kids is still a good thing. It's a natural door. We're doing something, and as a church, we're growing in our capacity to do it together. Uh, We're doing something that both secular society and faith communities 
they still respect. And because of this, we can actually legitimately share the story and the good news of Jesus Christ. The reason why we're doing what we're doing. I mean, we don't push the gospel on anybody. We just simply share. We're a witness. Say, this is who Jesus is to me. He can be this to you too. But as I've said before on a number of occasions, what's, what's your piece of the puzzle? What's God called you to do? What's the call of God on your life? Are you doing it? Have you said yes? If not, are you pursuing Jesus or are you coming alongside other believers who can help you understand what that is and find that out? Are you partnering with the Holy Spirit to walk in his power instead of your own strength? Are, are there fences in your life? Maybe they are fences of fear that need to get pulled up and replaced with the boundaries that Jesus has given you. If you answered yes to any of those questions, you have homework to do. Good homework but you have homework to do. And Jesus wants to help you today. Maybe he wants to create something in you today. With one word, he can separate the light from the darkness. With one word, he can separate the water from the land. And he can separate you from your fears as you trust him to speak into your life and to provide you with the boundaries that you need to live a life that is full of hope and meaning. As you yield to his way, as you center your life around him, and you begin to see what he creates over the span of your life, you and Jesus will both look at what he's made and say, That could only have been you, Lord. It could only have been you. And together you'll be able to look at it and you'll be able to say, it's good. It's good. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have made a way for us. That you're the one who actually crossed the biggest boundary to make a way for us to come back to you. Lord, thank you that as you've called us and as you've made us part of your family, that you've also brought your resources to the table, the resources of heaven to help us to walk out a life of fullness and meaning and hope Lord, we acknowledge that in this life we will have trouble. We will have suffering and pain. But you have overcome the world. You have made a way for us to live life abundantly. Lord, I pray as your Holy Spirit has been hovering over us today and speaking to the hearts of your people here. Lord, would you strengthen us, not only individually but corporately as well, to center ourselves on you, to have a blazing center in our own hearts and a blazing center as a people that you've called according to your name, according to your purposes, and that you would release us into greater calling as we receive your help to deal with those boundaries that we've put in place.
we receive your rule over our life, your boundaries over our life, your plans and purposes over our life. We say yes to you, Jesus. And we thank you that all the resources of heaven are poised to help us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.